Caroline Kremen from AdviceWorks joins me to take us through all the global news that's making headlines. Then in our fun segment, Sam Skuman, head of Index Solutions at Ashburton, states the investment case for their new global ETF. All that coming your way shortly. First, though, a quick look at what's been making the headlines. Well, the grocery delivery market is heating up. Costco has rolled out two grocery delivery services as it tries to level the field with Walmart and Amazon. Moody's has, however, downplayed the grocery delivery race, saying it's not really a game changer in the sector. Apple is looking into a matter of bloated iPhone 8 Plus batteries after another case was reported in China. Analysts say manufacturing defects are common with new product launches, but it isn't a big issue. And the Catalan crisis will be high on the minds of investors this week, along with political tension in Britain as Brexit negotiations struggle to progress. Prime Minister Theresa May will have much to do as she tries to fend off those attempting to topple her after last week's par party conference. Here's more. Catalan flags waving high in the minds of investors. The focus on whether separatist leaders will defy Madrid and go ahead with a declaration of independence. Just a week after Catalans faced a violent police crackdown to vote for a split in a referendum declared unconstitutional by a Spanish court. But analysts say a divorce would be bad news mostly for Catalan business. Yeah, Catalonia has a uh, it's, it's fairly highly indebted. It has a, a will have a relatively low rating if it were to uh, were to secede from the rest of the country, um, and, and I guess investors would uh, would want to reduce their exposure to the, to the Catalonia region. Madrid swiftly passed the law, making it easier for companies to move the base within the country. Catalan lender Sabadell has already agreed to transfer its legal base to Alicante, and CaixaBank is also considering a move from Barcelona. Eyes will also be on any progress on President Trump's planned tax cuts. Markets rose after the US president proposed the biggest tax shake-up in three decades, but critics, including the Fed, warned that such move could lead to inflation and unsustainable federal debt. On the other side of the Atlantic, Brexit, or a delay in it, still a major story. We're starting the, uh, the final round of phase one of the negotiations, and it looks like uh, insufficient progress will, will have been made in order to uh, enable the UK to talk about a trade deal uh, before the end of the year. Um, so th this, this mood music will, I think, impact upon sterling in particular, which uh, has certainly uh, weakened a little bit over the course of, of recent weeks. And the mood music for Prime Minister Theresa May might That's not be the most upbeat. <coughs> as she fends off plotters' attempts to topple her after a calamitous conference performance last week and it said something about us. Well, Caroline Kremen from AdviceWorks in studio. And so, Caroline, political risk on the rise, or do you think that the markets are looking past this and it'll, it'll fade away? <laughs> I think the markets are looking past it, and I think that but, um, that might be a little bit too easy going on, on their side. I think the political risk is definitely there. Um, we don't know what's going to happen in Catalonia. The, the situation just seems to be escalating, and you're seeing you know, the VIX index is actually at an all-time low. So I, I think we, we should be a little bit concerned about what's going on. Mm. We've had the European Union already saying that if uh, Catalonia decides to secede, that it won't be part of the EU. And we've heard this before with other countries that wanted a referendum votes yeah. to secede. Uh, because, I mean, it takes time. You, you, you don't get guaranteed membership. Okay. But it, it would throw the EU into a bit of disarray. It, it would uh, throw it into a bit of disarray. I think Catalonia by itself is about 16th in terms of population in the overall EU. It's 20% of Spain's G GDP. 
Um, it is a net contributor of eight billion dollars in excess to what it receives to this to the Spain to Spain's tax revenues. So it's actually quite a big issue um, generally, and. I don't even think it's going to go that far. It's far more likely that, that Spain is actually going to revoke their, their rights to do anything and it's going to cause further political unrest and possible some violence. People are even looking at the, that the separatists might actually be a little bit more aggressive than they've been up to now. Mm. Uh, meanwhile, we have um, those Brexit negotiations <laughs> continuing. It's the final round of phase one yes. of the negotiations. And commentators saying that th uh, the speed is going, there's no way they're going to have a trade deal even discussed by the end of this year. Uh, and, and really, this hinges on it for the UK. Look, I, th I think a lot hinges on, on this for the UK. And I don't think the UK is looking like a happy place at this point. Um, it's not only the Brexit negotiations. I mean, I think the the, the tone of that Brexit conversation has been hilarious. I mean, uh, Theresa May said, well, in the ball's in the European Union's court. And then the European Union actually came back and said, look, the ball is in the UK's court. So it's going forward and backwards. And in the meantime, you've got a leadership race in the Tories. You know, it doesn't, I don't even see Theresa May surviving towards the end of the year. And then you really need to look further down as, an, as a possible investor in the UK. You have um, a very weak conservative government. You're seeing, and I, I just find this unbelievable, you're seeing Jeremy Corbyn and the, and, and the Labour movement on the rise, um, especially with millennials who are quite aggrieved about the, the, the Brexit vote. So, you know, to survive the Brexit, the, Europe, uh, the UK really did need to be a little bit more business friendly. Mm -hmm. and a little bit more organized and right now they're not organized and if you've got a labor government it's certainly not going to be business friendly so for me as an investment destination at this point i would be very wary about putting my money there we've seen it with south african mm -hmm. companies that have invested in the uk and we had a famous brands out with the trading update today for instance and it's going to have a big fall in profits due to the gourmet burger kitchen likewise Breaks with this investment in New Look, and yes. w which isn't worth what it paid for it uh, w <laughs> when it bought it. So those UK ink shares in particular appear to be a bad investment. Look, I, I, th I don't think that was so much to do with the Brexit even. I think these are probably just over overpriced investments that both the, the companies made. I think the, the Gourmet Burger, we, we, we did kind of expect, um, you know, Famous Brands has still got to move in there and do its Famous Brands magic. Mm -hmm. so, so I will, you know, I'm, I'm going to park that one and give them the benefit of the doubt. But some of those bright investments, hmm, <laughs> yeah, we never liked them at the time and we still don't like them. <laughs> Going cold on Iceland. Um, yeah. Okay, how about the United States? Jobs numbers out on Friday mm -hmm. and disappointing. Mm -hmm. So we saw the S&P closing lower on Friday, breaking an eight-day winning yeah. streak though I see markets are back on the, the front foot again today mm -hmm. so are the markets mm -hmm. looking past even economic data like jobs numbers look I think it was 33,000 uh, jobs lost but overall the employment rate came down the uh, wages actually went up uh, on, on average and and really that was really only one can say it was really due to the hurricanes at these it was particularly felt in the restaurant and the hotel sector so mm. these are the types of workers if you don't pitch up you don't get paid um, so it is likely to be temporary it broke a very long winning streak so I think that was why the market reaction was there but I think the US economy is still on track okay mm. so interest rates still on track as well yeah, uh, I believe there was a survey 98% of economists now do think that there is going to be a rate increase in December okay um, so meanwhile we have that as mentioned now on NASDAQ mm. up today we have third quarter earnings season starting in earnest on Thursday I think some of the banks are coming out JP Morgan and Chase 
uh, JP Morgan Chase and also Citibank reporting on Thursday. Uh, and the S&P uh, mm. overall, I think they're expecting 4.9% improvement in profits for the third quarter, which isn't as fast as some of the profit growth we've seen earlier this year, but still pretty good. No, um, but you are also looking for the it does actually, the financial sector is helped by a rising interest rate environment. So, um, I, I, but also, you know, it's not, I think a lot of the growth in the US market is already priced in. I mean, it, it just, uh, the levels we, we're sitting at in, in the financial sector, industrial sector in particular, are actually quite extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Right and forget the tech sector, because that's beyond extraordinary. Yeah. Okay. Let's see if the earnings justify the yes. prices. A couple of companies mm. um, with some interesting news. Costco in the United States, as we had yeah. in the, said in the headlines, rolling out two grocery delivery services. Um, and I suppose it's just fighting off growing competition from the likes of Walmart and Amazon, which has just bought Whole Foods. So it's entered that food space already. Yeah. Well, Costco is quite an interesting company. I've actually liked it for quite a long time because it, it's got quite a good return on equity, 20 plus. It's one of the few retailers that even in the light of Amazon is managed to increase its revenue. Now it's uh, about 14% the size of Amazon, about 28% the size of Walmart, so it's relatively small. It's it's a company where you actually go and you need a loyalty card to get in, so similar to a macro. Mm-hmm. But it also does a lot of fresh produce, so this is where they've been getting the foot flow into their stores on the basis of people buying fresh produce. Now I think all of the retailers, um, Walmart bought Debt.com last year, have realized they do need to try to compete with Amazon on the, the e-market space. That is, you know, ironically, it's still a relatively small part of the U.S. retail experience. But so I think there is room for these guys to actually compete. Walmart, I think, has got a special uh, advantage. I mean, m- its stores um, are within s- apparently 70% of the U.S. population. So if it turns those big stores that it's got into depots where you can actually get the fast delivery to people, um, it's, it has it's, that got footprint, a, it, yeah. it's got that footprint, which Amazon is still really putting down. Now, the delivery space is actually quite interesting because it just seems as if people have realized, and Amazon, Walmart, Costco have realized that you really need to get your things to customers cheaply and, 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 and quickly. So Amazon's proposition, you, you pay $99 per annum and you get free two-day service. If you need a one-day service or less, you pay $7.99, I think, for, for the delivery. And Walmart has said, well, you're going to get free delivery, mm-hmm. um, two, a two-day delivery. And they're even delivering into New York where they actually don't have a store. So they, it's, it seems as if they're starting to leverage those stores in the vicinity to service neighborhoods where they never really had customers previously. Costco really does need to step up to compete with Amazon. Amazon has obviously recently acquired Whole Foods. Um, it has plans to include um, Whole Foods on its prime delivery, um, you, and you'll have loyalty points for that as well. So Costco, where you've been getting the foot flow for the groceries, really does need to step up its, its, its e-commerce. It did grow 13% um, with the recent results. Um, I think Costco is, is going to be an interesting one to watch because it is extremely well managed, uh, very, very cash flush. But it's one of those stores where it's the new, you know, the millennials, it's just not an attractive store to go to. You know, <laughs> it's, 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 you know so it, it's going to be interesting to see if they can actually up their e-commerce game and, 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 and actually keep 
keep afloat <laughs> years ahead. Yeah. Become attractive to teenagers. Uh, so exactly. meanwhile, Amazon testing its own delivery service. It's called Sellerflex. Yes. Uh, and I googled it, and it's, it's actually started in India two years yes. ago. So it's now introducing yeah. this to the United States, and it will be rivaling the likes of FedEx and UPS in the in the courier mm. business, I suppose. So it's setting up the infrastructure mm. to deliver its groceries. Does it make sense to also become a delivery service? Well, it's already become a delivery service. I mean, it's brought its own fleet of airlines. It's got its own tracks. Mm -hmm. um, and as part of its whole rollout of the distribution centers, it really doesn't want to be have any of its products uh, less than two days away from the customer. Now, but what is interesting about this service is while in the past, Amazon has delivered products physically in its warehouse to their customers with their um, with with their own infrastructure. Now what they're trying to do is where well you've got third party vendors using the Amazon site, Amazon's delivery service will go to those warehouses of those third party vendors and actually send it directly to the customers. Um, Amazon is saying, look, it's not an, an attempt to compete with FedEx and UPS, although it is going to have an impact on them. It's really an attempt to control the whole supply chain so that they can actually ensure quality, reduce costs, um, over, uh, and just improve the customer experience. Um, the, I think there is a risk definitely to FedEx. I think FedEx in, in the regulatory filings actually have Amazon as a, as a risk in, in yeah. their regulatory filings or, already. But again, I also think that that e-commerce space in globally, but in the US, is, is growing to such an extent. I think for the timing, there is room for, for, for everybody. Okay. Um, of course, Amazon is one of the top holdings in Ashburton's new yes. Global 1200 ETF. We're going to a short break. When we come back, we take a look at, at that Global ETF, and that's with Sam Skuman, Head of Index Solutions at Ashburton. Don't go away. Welcome back. You're watching Global Investor. Still with me in studio, Caroline Kremen from AdviceWorks. We're also joined by Ashburton's Samantha Skuman to look at Ashburton's new ETF. It's called the Ashburton Global 1200 ETF. Um, welcome, Sam. Um, so what's the take-up been? Because the offer opened on the 21st of September. Um, I think it closed a week later and it listed last Friday. What sort of take-up was there ahead of that listing? The take-up was quite favourable, um, Stefan. Uh, we had a take-up of roughly just in excess of 31 million in terms of the IPO um, and listed a, a complete fund with assets under management in excess of 71 million. So we're quite pleased with that. And trading, is, I mean, it's only the second day of trading today. What's, it, what's that Second day like? of trading? Well, the end of the first day of trading, we actually managed to trade half a million um, on, on the secondary market. Um, and today roughly the same, so, so we're quite pleased with um, how the market's reacting. A any idea on whether it's institutional or retail investors that, that are picking this up? At this point in time, we don't, we don't quite know which. Um, we think it might be, be the former, the retail investors, um, just as a result of the volumes that we're receiving. Um, no spe specific orders from institutions have been received by the management company as yet. Okay, so who, who would this be attractive to? Who, who, why would it appeal to an investor? Well, I think it would appeal to the investor due to the fact that it's the market first for the JSE um, to actually list a exchange traded fund which provides exposure to both developed as well as emerging markets um, all in one listed instrument. Um, so that's quite an exciting aspect of it. Um, I think the, the, the second thing that we're quite excited about is the fact that it's, it, it's an exchange traded fund that for the first time is tracking the S&P Global 1200 index um, and that's sort of a world first um, in, in terms of the listing. Caroline, um, attractive to you to have an ETF that contains both 
um, developed and emerging markets, or would you prefer to keep those separately? I think it's it's different strokes for different folks. So um, I think if you've got a larger portfolio, it does actually work to actually have different exposures. But if you just want a, an offshore exposure within your overall South African exposure, I think it's actually quite a nice ETF to pick up because it's just going to give you developed markets, which we really do need exposure to here in South Africa. So what we'll kind of split? Because I see, so obviously the biggest makeup is the United States with the S&P 500. You've got the S&P Europe 350, Japan, Canada, Australia, Latin America, and Asia. What's the sort of split between emerging markets and developed markets? Because I should imagine lots of South African investors have that emerging market exposure through their local portfolios. So that's actually a very interesting point. Um, so the split currently, it trades across 30 markets globally, of which 23 are developed and seven are emerging. <coughs> very, very important to note, the emerging market exposure actually does not provide any exposure to South African um, equities. <laughs> so basically when the investor actually decides to invest in the ETF, he does not need to worry about concentrating his risk within South Africa already. Mm. So what sort of emerging markets would be included in here? So you've got China, um, Brazil, and South Korea, um, those kinds, as well as the, the Latin America sphere, which is mostly emerging. Okay. Um, emerging markets that would appe appeal to you, Latin America, China? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think in the right proportion, and, and you see that the spread is really about 60% still the US, so, yes. so it is more of a developed market play. I just, we, have yeah, sorry. I just have a question. Are you going to buy all 1,200 constituents when you, when you set up your fund? How so is that going to work? The, the practicalities around trading is, is a very, very good question. Um, and the way that we try and approach it is <laughs> optimizing the portfolio um, in terms mm -hmm. of the least amount of equities that we actually can hold um, versus actually ensuring that we track the performance of the specific index and we provide the investors with the returns of the index. So it's a, mm -hmm. it's a play between. Um, currently, we probably hold roughly around 800 um, plus um, constituent securities in the fund, oh. um, and we have exposure to those specific markets. Um, but as we, as we get larger, um, we'll obviously start picking up more exposure. Okay. Uh, I mean, are, are there any quality filters that are applied to this? So this is a market cap um, weighted index, so it's, it's purely based on the market capitalization. Obviously then also um, adjusted and, and provision is made for concentration risk, um, geographical segments, liquidity, um, those kind of constraints that are included in, in the index methodology. Okay, so if you're looking at liquidity, I mean, you might not be able to get all 1,200 components because some of them may, may be illiquid. Is, is that what you're saying? So it is an extremely liquid index, um, just due to the fact that if you look at the underlying constituents um, and the way that the index is constructed, it is a composite of seven of the, the most well-known um, um, headline indices that, that are provided by S&P. Um, Liquidity, specifically from a South African trading perspective, um, is experienced. We will always utilize a proxy um, in our trading of the fund in order to ensure that we provide the investor with that exposure. Mm. We were chatting, Caroline, just about the United States, the US markets, and the S&P, which is um, well above its, its all-time average as far as its PE is going. Mm. I mean, are you comfortable with having an investment that's more than half in the United States? Do you think that's going to continue to, to drive global markets higher? Look, I, I think... Uh, most of the developed markets, the OECD countries, I mean, they are on a growth trajectory. So you need to get in at some stage. That, that this might not be the perfect week, but to call the timing is, is exceptionally difficult with this. Um, so I would rather that people have an offshore exposure than not have one. Um, because, of course, we've got to bear in mind the rand is not going the right way for us at this point as, as well. So I think it is worthwhile for clients to actually look at this. 
and just a point to mm. add that, that we all know that offshore investing is a long-term game. Exactly. Um, it's yeah. not, you know, market yeah. timing and all of that. It's often not quite um, quite the way to go when you're going into the offshore global space. Um, so this this is really a long-term investment and it has to be approached with a long-term view of the markets mm. and, and the I mean world growing. Have you taken a look at how this would have performed in the past um, if you had translated it back to rands? Because the, the investors are, are buying this in rands. It's traded on the JSE, yes. but they're getting exposure to all these yes. currencies. And I should imagine had they bought it at the beginning of 2016, they wouldn't have been very happy at the end of 2016 yeah. because the rand strengthened so much. Yes. As Caroline points out, this year it's, mm -hmm. it's going in the opposite direction. So have you, have you taken a long-term view of this and how it would have performed relative to the, the JSE, for instance? So if we have a look, um, and, and we've done a bit of work around how the, the, the rand has performed, um, and over the last 20 years, um, we've actually noticed that the rand is actually depreciated by an average annual rate of 9.3%. Um, so in the long, in the long run, um, it, it's really a good, a good investment in terms of currency diversification for the South African investor. Um, in terms of global markets, this specific fund has, has returned 17% on average um, over a one-year rolling period. Um, and that, that is really, I think, largely as a result of emerging market exposure, which has been slightly higher, but a bit riskier um, for the investors to go into, returning roughly 25%. And then, of course, your developed markets element, um, which is which is a nice playoff um, because it really just it, it diversifies and manages that investor's risk. Are you able to change the weightings of, of, the, of the funds? So with emerging markets perhaps coming back into vogue, are you able to increase the exposure to emerging markets uh, and reduce the developed market exposure? So the index methodology is quite rigid, um, as with any index tracking fund. Um, it follows specific rules, um, regulations, very, very transparent in how the index is constructed. Um, but as emerging markets do come up, because it is a market capitalization weighted index, um, there's no reason why why the weight shouldn't shift in alignment with the larger stocks that they'd start we start seeing on the emerging market. Yeah. I mean, uh, emerging markets do seem to be coming back into vogue after a, a period of underperformance, Caroline. Um, they do, and, and, and you know, that's exactly right. You know, as their market caps increase, their weighting in, 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 in the index is, is going to increase. Um, I, well, the other thing I do like about this, <laughs> though, is that it's, there's no concentration in the fangs, you know, because I do think that is a market risk. I think, I think your largest holding is Apple, which is 2.2%. Um, so you're not, you know, so actually, because it's kind of quite a conservative allocation all in all. I mean, it's extremely attractive. <laughs> Uh, I, suppose that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that, I mean, with so many components, the, the, yeah. I mean, there isn't any problem with um, concentration risk, is there? No, so we don't foresee any issues with the concentration risk as well as the liquidity risk. And this is really as a result of how the specific portfolio or index is actually constructed mm -hmm. um, and how that methodology is applied um, and the caps and limits are put in um, within how the construction works. Mm. So how much does this all cost? How <laughs> much does this is the best part? <laughs> <laughs> So um, it, the, the Ashburton Global 1200 equity ETF, mind you, it is a mouthful, I know, um, will cost the investor 37 basis points, um, or plainly speaking 0.37% in management fees on an annual basis. Um, we're targeting a total expense ratio um, of 0.45%. Does that sound reasonable? I think that's very, very, very good. No other no. hidden costs there? Never. 
Okay. <laughs> okay. And so, uh, and so apologies. Just to just to clarify, this obviously where's your cost of trading and the stockbroking yeah. and, and and all of those things that you need to add to it, as with any other investment, with actually performing the transaction. But within the fund, that's it. D does Ashburton have their own platform for investors to go onto? So for retail investors to go onto? Yes, absolutely. So, so we have the yeah. FMB ShareSaver Share Investor platform. Our ETFs are listed there. Um, anybody can access it as long as they open a an account with with FMB um, with the FMB ShareSaver and Share Investor platforms, um, and they can easily transact either by self-selection or by default selections. Um, there's a whole range of options to choose from. But you would also be able to go, I suppose, through platforms like ETFSA or through your, through your stockbroker as so well. So currently, ETFSA, Easy Equities, um, Standard Bank Online, um, every stockbroker has access to the product, um, and any client that that has a stockbroking account with them would be able to trade with it. Okay, so something you're going to put into your bottom drawer, perhaps, Caroline? Yes, it's something I'll definitely look at for some of the smaller clients need an offshore exposure with the South African portfolio. Hmm, okay, uh, and sorry, what minimum uh, investment uh, amount is the one? So there is no minimum investment amount. Um, it is a listed security. So as long as you have currently trading around about 41 Rand, um, you can then obtain one security, which provides you access to the 1,200 stocks so globally. For 41 Rand? 41 Rand. <laughs> <laughs> and so we have to leave it there. Thanks very much for coming through. Thank you very much. That's all we have time for this uh, show. Thanks again to Caroline and Samantha for their insights. Many thanks to you for watching. Same time next week. Goodbye.